0: timeout podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different. At the time of the release of this show, it's the weekend scheduled for the Final Four. Obviously, everyone's plans were changed with the virus outbreak. However, uh, purely in an attempt to provide you all with some sports entertainment, I invited Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star on for our Final Four episode. Jesse, thanks so much for being willing to talk some college hoops with us.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Tony.
0: How disappointed are the Jayhawk fans out where you are?
1: Uh, disappointed. You know, it's, it's just Bill Self has kind of set the standard here for having teams that are in the tournament and give themselves a shot every single year. You know what I'm saying? And, um, they're always in the game, it seems like, but this year sort of shaped up a little bit differently and and kind of felt like one of those teams that could be special. They sort of pass a lot of the, the checkpoints that you want, you know, they showed toughness and difficult times, not only on the court and off the court. They had A great point guard. They had an elite center. They played great defense, which usually travels well. They'd won 16 straight games. Um, They'd faced a lot of different opponents, different playing styles. So yeah, I mean, I, I think disappointment is definitely the word and it's it's, it's just a shame. You never know how it's going to turn out. And obviously it's tough to win a one and done tournament, six games in a row. Even if KU was the favorite, they'd win the tournament, you know, 20% of the time or whatever the case may be. But uh, I think there just was the feeling around here that this could have ended up as a special season and Bill Self had kind of brought together a roster that had fit into its roles, had gotten the right guys in the right places and, uh, this could have been a special March and April for this team, but we'll never know and we'll never figure it out. And like you said, that's our on this podcast, maybe talk gonna talk about uh, what could have been in college basketball in 2019, 2020.
0: So taking a step back from Kansas and kind of looking at the bigger picture, focusing a little bit more on just the tournament itself. And I also kind of want to give some context to the rest of our conversation. Some may not be familiar with, with who you are. Jesse is the guy who votes in the AP poll that everyone likes to hate on, on social media. Some of you (laughs) maybe have heard of him before. You kind of want to talk about that and kind of how that all started?
1: Yeah, I've been an AP poll voter for either three or four years now. And um, I've been a big guy. I know I listen to your Jordan Sperber podcast, but you know, he does great job of this. But um, as a guy who's 36, whose dad was a math teacher, who's kind of grown up with advanced stats, that's kind of been the thing that's that I've been known for is that, you know, people know me as a guy that is into the numbers and, and likes to look at those to kind of gain some insight into what's going on. And so because of that, that's basically what has led me down the line with with what's gone on with the poll voting is what are we doing with poll voting? I mean, what is it a measure of? Are we trying to do resume? Are we trying to do the best team? And i followed Ken Pomeroy's rankings for a long, long time and um I obviously been an admirer of his work and what he's done. But Basically, over time, I've kind of figured out that those rankings, which we call predictive rankings, are much better than the human rankings, which are kind of based off of guessing and, oh, we're rewarding this team because we feel like we need to reward them. So what I do is I look at a lot of those measures, Ken Palm, Bart Torvik, team rankings, Sagarin, things like that, and I'm trying to measure the best teams. You know, we can say and people can argue whether we want to rank the best teams based off resume or who is best. I just think, hey, if I'm asking you what the top 10 movies are, you're not going to say, well, this movie was one hour and 20 minutes. And so, oh, it came out in 1990. No, you're going to say you're going to give me the best 10 movies. And so to me, the way to best look at that is these predictive rankings, which look at every single possession and the data there rather than just every single game and the wins and losses. And over time, I have an experience with this, that those t- things seem to even out as you get a bigger and bigger sample size, that the predictive rankings tend to be better than the non-predictive ones. So it leads to some craziness in my voting. I'm always the most extreme voter. I always get a lot of people commenting to me on Twitter about my poll. But like I said, over time, it seems tends to seem to even out over time. And uh, usually over time, uh, those predictive rankings are They end up right in the end. And so a lot of those are what I kind of base my vote off of. And that's why uh, my vote a lot of times tends to be a little bit controversial.
0: So for the next set of questions, kind of that kind of gives a little bit of perspective of how how you're going to answer these. It's not just like a a random media member that's just picking their favorite or picking what they think, but kind of thinking about it from an analytics perspective and uh, the numbers. And like you said, reading those and predicting uh, those outcomes. We're going to kind of use a bracket that obviously... Did it happen because the tournament field was never announced, but looking just at Joe Lenardi's bracket, uh, it's kind of some semi rapid fire questions. We don't do any rapid fire around here because generally the guest answers are too, too good and too long to consider them rapid fire, but don't feel like you have to go on and on either. So again, we're just being just to be clear. These are specific to the final four, not the tournament as a whole, but if you were to pick a surprise team that you would not have been surprised but maybe everybody else would have been to be in Atlanta this year. Who would it have been?
1: Oh yeah. So many good ones. And again, you kind of look across the line of these predictive metrics. I kind of tell you some of these teams with a bunch of losses might've had a bunch of losses for a reason. Either they were close losses and a couple bad breaks went against them, or they were playing in a great conference like these big 10 teams are and racked up the losses because somebody has to lose these games. So I think I probably would have started with insert random big 10 team here. That was probably ranked too low in the human pool. I mean, Michigan State's too obvious, but they would have had a great shot. I mean, this was a team that was preseason ranked number one, had some rough patches early, obviously, with Cassius Winston and you know what his family went through, but over the course of the season got better and better and kind of emerged late in the Big Ten season uh, as a really good team. Ohio State's another one. Uh, you know, that's a team that was number one, I think, for a week and then got a bunch of losses in a row and kind of came into their own toward the end of the season. I've seen a lot of these bracket projections have Iowa in there, which again, they played poorly down the stretch, but it's, it's one of those things. If you trust those numbers early, they kind of rose up there early enough that you think, Hey, they might've had a little bit run late in there uh, for them. Arizona's another team, um, a lot of losses in the Pac-12, but a lot of their wins were by big margins and still a team that, um, you know, if we look at those advanced numbers would tell us that they would have had a shot at least to get to a final four. Just they wouldn't have been a huge underdog in whatever game they played. And then, you know, outside of those, BYU, um, it's difficult to encapsulate them because uh, they didn't have child until midway through the season, but really took off. Um, with him in there and were pretty good team before that KU played them in Maui and, you know, got challenged in there. They, you know, BYU had a pretty good showing there um, uh, as well. So I would say that those are the main ones. And then even a team like West Virginia, I know they racked up a bunch of losses uh, on the road late in the season, but the advanced metrics love them. If you look at the games they played, those games they won were by a ton of points and they're a tough team to figure out. Cause they played so well at home and have one of the best home court advantages in the nation and so poorly on the road. Um, because you don't get that home court advantage. So um, how would they have done in a neutral setting? I'm not sure. But uh, again, the the advanced metrics love them enough that they probably would have been underseeded at a six or seven seed wherever they would have ended up. Interesting that
0: you mentioned BYU. I think you're the third or fourth different guest that mentioned them at some point during this season. I was just watching them last night. They had a replay on ESPN, forgot uh, how good. And obviously kind of out West, those kind of teams get overlooked. How about... Uh, overrated team and overrated from the standpoint of people a lot of people potentially would have picked them but you see them coming up short
1: yeah and my again my answers are just the number answers it's sort of funny because uh, if you go back in my history like two seasons ago i was the one that put auburn way too high according to everybody and then auburn ended up winning their last 10 games and making the final four and then this past year, I was the one that's saying Auburn was way overrated. And everybody's coming. I mentions, hey, you hate Auburn, you hate Auburn. I'm trying to tell them, look, I'm a I'm a numbers guy here. I'm not an Auburn hater or lover. You know, it just depends on what the numbers tell us. And so um, that's a good place to start. Auburn is one of those teams throughout the course of the season. I mean, they were so so good slash fortunate and close games that their underlying numbers especially in the weak sec would say that they were going to be way over seated. if you continue that on kentucky was another team i was getting a lot of guff for late in the season it's the same sort of thing uh, they finished 25 and 6 but um, the numbers did not love the sec and the fact that you can't blow out those opponents uh, is not necessarily a positive sign when you're going to face better opponents in the NCAA tournament um, you know I, I would say that those two are kind of the ones that kind of uh, I kept circulating back to when it came to the polls and people coming after me for their particular rankings. Um, Illinois, Villanova is probably a little bit overrated based off of what we expect from them and kind of the success that they've had. I think if you look at their program and you know what they've done in recent years, even 2018, you would think, hey, this is kind of in line with those teams. But the numbers really never bore that same sort of thing out with them. So uh, maybe a little bit of a question mark uh, when it came to them. And Uh, I would say probably those are the main ones. And oh, also Florida State. (laughs) Florida State's the same way, just a a lot of close game luck and um, the numbers, just not looking at them and saying uh, that this is the team that everybody potentially thought they were as a top five or a top 10 team in the AP poll, or even the team, I think the Florida State Senate voted them as national champions after the year ended. So uh, (laughs) nothing like that, I would say for Florida State. I'm going to say that they don't actually have a, a right to that title.
0: I don't know if you were ever pressed to pick a Final Four, but we're going to make you do it here. So if you, looking at that bracket, Lunardi's bracket, if you were forced to pick a Final Four, who would it have been?
1: That's a great question. And real quickly with Lunardi, I just want to say too, um, the number one overall seed would get to pick their region. And Bill Sell, if I asked him this after the season, he said that KU would have taken the South. Because they wanted to stay away from a lot of the, well, not just that. There was partly that they could stay away, but he said mostly for rest because it was a Friday-Sunday regional. Could have given guys like Marcus Garrett, Devon Dots, and Yudoka Azebuki an extra day of rest to make sure they were prepared for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight game. So um, unfortunately for Lunardi's bracket, um, you know, has Kansas in the Midwest, the thing is you could almost switch them with Baylor because they would be both Big 12 teams. You could basically put failure in the Midwest was where they would have been in Kansas in the South where they would have been. But um, for the final Lenardi bracket, we have this, you know, I would have had to pick Kansas. I, I think that they would have been um, the team to be there and looking at their bracket real quick. Some of those teams I just talked about, um, I didn't mention Duke. They would have been a tough out. Iowa would have been a tough out um, Auburn women. Okay. Matchup, but I, they would have been the favorite in all those games. So I would have had to pick Kansas there. I do like Gonzaga. I think they emerged late in the season as kind of the top tier along with Kansas. And so, Um, Even though there's some teams in there, San Diego State, Arizona, BYU that I would have liked, I probably would have gone pretty chalky there. Um, Let's see the East. Were you a Dayton guy? You know, I I, I am a Dayton guy, but if you're just not going to try to pick chalk, this would be the one. But You know this East bracket. I just talked about the teams I don't really like, and a lot of them are in here. (laughs) I was going to say Florida State's in there, Villanova's in there. Yeah, I mean West Virginia potentially could have made a run to the Elite Eight there. I probably would have. How about Maryland? Yeah, Maryland maybe. Um, Maryland maybe. Uh, It's just you know Mark Turgeon. He's the old KU guy. He he hasn't been there yet. Doesn't mean you can't make it there. But I I probably would have if I would continue chalk. I'd say Dayton. I guess I can't pick Baylor for this final region. So I would have gone Michigan State in the South um, as the three seed. I think they would have been close to the favorite in all those games. Although, you know, I think Ohio State could have given Baylor a really good look and potentially made a Final Four too. So I think the South, that region would have been maybe the one of upsets, but I I guess I probably would have gone pretty chalky other than that. Dayton could have been picked off, I'd say, but I I don't love any teams in that bracket other than potentially Maryland and and I maybe could have picked them going on. West Virginia, if I wouldn't have really shocked the world.
0: And then I would assume Kansas is your national champion. I would have picked them. Yeah, I would
1: have. And it's it's,
0: who would you have had them playing?
1: Gonzaga. I I think they're the two best teams, and and we all know how this works. I mean, I try to explain my AP poll vote with people, too, just that I think the biggest disagreement I get is when a team loses a head-to-head matchup. And, you know, there's been studies out there done, like, if you're an NBA team in the playoffs and you're an eight-and-a-half point favorite at home and you lose by 10 to your opponent, the next game you're at home. And you're a seven and a half point favorite or six and a half point favorite. So just because you lose that first game by 10 points does not mean that team that came into your building and beat you is better than you. It means that, hey, there was a 20% chance for rain. You got some thunderstorms. You know what I'm saying? So I just it's difficult to try to explain to people. um, But that's what happens when you have this random tournament. That's what happens when you're looking at all these projection systems out there. And someone's like, "Oh my gosh, I was in the Final Four, or Ohio State made it, or Creighton did, or you know what's going on here?" Well, what's happening is, I mean, you're basically just pressing a randomizer and saying, "Hey, there's an 80% chance of this happening, but in this simulation, the 20% happened." I mean, this happens in life every single day. So, uh, yeah, that sounds pretty chalky for my bracket. I understand that, but um, but but again, would crazy things have happened in this NBA tournament? Yeah, but if you're going with the teams you feel most confident about. I do think Kansas and Gonzaga had elevated themselves above. And then um, if you were going with sort of a surprise or sleeper team, some of those other teams kind of ended up in Kansas or Gonzaga's bracket. So, um, you know, you'd pick some upsets in there. Everybody does that with their bracket. I'm sure you would have done that too, Tony. But overall, when you get to the championship, I I usually kind of stick with the teams that are up at the top of, of what you would consider the best rankings out there. And Kansas and Gonzaga definitely would qualify.
0: On that note, I just saw this last week. You may have more information than I do, but Gonzaga and Kansas finishing up a deal for a home-and-home home starting in 2022. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Uh, in the works. And I know Bill Self has sort of been working on this for a long time or has been kind of in discussions. If you look at Kansas, they'll play anybody. I mean, they go out and play the toughest of tough schedules, and it helps them when it comes to, uh, it used to really help them with the RPI because they were sort of gaming the system. You know, RPI used to be Half of the RPI formula was your opponent's win percentage. So KU would go take on the best teams in the worst conferences. And those teams would end up winning 23 or 24 games. And so KU's RPI would be like lapping the field at the top. And every committee member would have to vote them as a number one seed because like, well, you got to use the RPI. So it's. It's been a little bit lessened in a net sort of world because uh, obviously net is closer to like a Ken Palm and takes more things into account, but Bill Self still likes to challenge his team really in the schedule. And he likes to play teams um, home and homes. He He's not afraid of that. And so uh, I kind of put on Twitter as well, that, uh, that Duke is next in line. Duke plays nobody ever um, on the road, but home and homes, but Bill Self is interested in that. I think that as he's sort of getting, um, I don't want to say older, I guess we're all getting older, but I think he's getting to this point in his career. He wants to play at these places he's never coached at before. And so obviously up there at Gonzaga, that'll be a fun game to cover. It'll be a fun game to play. It'll be a fun game to coach. And I think if KU could ever get it pulled off, I think Bill Self would love to coach in Cameron Indoor. I just don't think it's going to happen with Coach K because that's not what they do, but Bill Self's not afraid to play anybody anywhere. So I think the home and home invitation is probably out there.
0: So as we wrap up this season, And looking ahead to next season, because, of course, that's what we always do as soon as the season is over. Do you have a top five or maybe even at least a top three heading into the pre-draft period?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, this sounds like, I guess, bias from the Big 12 or Midwest bias, whatever you want to say. But I think a couple of Big 12 teams are going to be pretty good. You know, I think uh, Baylor, with what they return, uh, that's going to be a pretty salty team coming back. Uh, obviously Texas tech, it, we, we know with Chris Beard had a good team that had a young team this year, but sort of developed over time. So um, I, I think they'll be at the top and, you know, normal candidates. I, I think what we learn from year to year is it seems like this way more in college football, just because of the, um, because of the nature of it. But it seems like all those four teams, it's usually a shuffle of like six or seven teams. It's always Oklahoma or Iowa or Oklahoma state or I'm sorry, Ohio state or Michigan or Florida State. I mean, it's, it's kind of those teams always rotating in the top six. Um, but with basketball, you know, it's sort of the same way. I mean, we want to talk about parity and how any team can win it and those sorts of things. But, um, you know, in basketball, it seems like Duke's pretty good every single year. And Kansas is going to be a top 10 team next year. And Gonzaga is going to be really good. And, uh, you know, probably a team like Villanova. I just talked about them not being as good this year, but they've got a future Hall of Fame coach and they've got a roster coming back that's going to be good as well. And, I'm not going to count out Michigan State because I think they've got a great coach, uh, great players as well. Kentucky's going to be up there. So, you know, the more things change, the more things uh, stay the same, it seems like. So maybe there's going to be a couple teams pop up there. I've seen Creighton at the top of some of these polls. You know, maybe they can rise up. Maybe Virginia can kind of get back to the dominance that they had a couple years ago. But in general, it's probably looking like a couple Big 12 teams and then some of the blue bloods that you're used to. And that's sort of college basketball as it is uh, most every season.
0: Yeah, something to look forward to. Unfortunately, no more basketball for this year. However, if you've been following along, a lot of classic games on uh, on ESPN and CBS Sports. I saw I was just playing the Duke-Butler title game. We're at the end of a decade, so this is the last thing I'll ask you. Your favorite national championship game of the 2010s.
1: Oh, favorite. Well, hmm. You know, I... Just in terms of watching it, I would probably have to say, I mean, the ending of this, the ending of the sixteen game of Villanova, Carolina. I mean, that just everything that happened there. Just, I mean, the shot and and what I get frustrated by. I know people that follow me on Twitter. I'm I'll just get this out there because everybody priority thinks I'm crazy, but I'm a big proponent of the Elam ending. I just I love it. I I think that it's where basketball is headed, and I love it for a lot of different reasons. But one reason I love it is that. At the end of games, when a team potentially makes a game-winning shot, it's not officials blowing their whistle and sending every team back to their bench and stopping a celebration and going to a monitor and everything anticlimactic. It's, hey, you won the game on that shot and everybody can run on the court and celebrate and everybody knows the rules, that sort of thing. But that game just had the perfect moment where it didn't matter because shot was taken right before the buzzer goes in, guy with the confetti button, booms it, (laughs) hits at the right time, and everybody celebrates. And it's just such a rare moment in college basketball how that happened without a ton of whistles, a ton of officials, a ton of everything going on that I just can't imagine a much better ending to a, to a national championship game than that. So I'll probably go with that one just based off of um, how crazy the ending was and just how perfect of a moment was and kind of what we envision when we think of buzzer beaters. But um, obviously there were a lot of, uh, a lot of good moments in there. And and the one I got to attend in 2012, I, I can tell you it's, It's uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to to go to those events when they are full and you're even a football stadium when there's people all the way up to the rafters, and just kind of feel the enormity of the event and how hard guys are trying to, you know, you talk about the one shining moment, how hard they're trying to just make their dream a reality. So it's it's really cool to be there in person, but it's it's cool to watch on television. I'm sure that that 2016 one was uh, was pretty special to watch.
0: Yeah, That's Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Jesse, that was fun. Thanks so much for for taking the time to come on the show. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.